tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap. There is no beauty here, just the stench of wine and beer. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. Hello and welcome to This is Vinyl Tap, where each and every episode goes to 11. We're coming to you live from the Vinegaroon, and I believe we can officially say it's central Austin nowadays. We still have a little bit of a disagreement about where the, we are. The Vinegaroon what? Vinegaroon Saloon. Oh, right. I thought maybe we were just inside one of those horrible bugs. bugs. <laughs> <laughs> we're coming to you from the Vinegaroon Saloon. Uh, and I'm joined, as usual, by our host, Doug Cooper. Hello, and uh, I'm your non-host this evening, yep. as you can tell. And our co-host, Tony Slagle. Howdy, everybody. And I don't believe it's Central Austin. but You don't just think me. it's Central Austin? Well, it used to be North Austin. when It's I was still North Austin. Yeah. Uh, and I'm your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe, sitting in the host seat uh, this week. The and hot seat? The hot seat. And, and it's North Austin to Tony because he lives in South Austin. I live, yeah. in God, I live in God's country. Which brings up another strange thing. Uh, if you don't know, uh, South Austin is the Bubba part of Austin. It's God's country. And so the guy from Bubba part of Austin and the guy from Fort Worth is the vegetarian. <laughs> Riddle me that. Yeah. And I'm from, well, I'm from West Texas. It's God where there's all sorts of range. You notice what he's doing? Yeah. What's he yeah. doing? No, yeah. We switched off of you on the hymns. <laughs> Drink, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. When when is Tony going to make the d- drinking list for the? Uh, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll work we'll work on the drinking game for the webpage for all of you guys who want to follow <laughs> along as you listen to these episodes and get liquored yeah, up. We'll, we'll even make a board game. All oh, right, that'd be, that'd be good for our Christmas be, list. Yeah. Okay, and tonight we're turning our attention to a 1983 release by a band. Uh, they're pretty much associated with the new wave movement. Almost everything I read said that they kind of came out of that, but they're much more uh, a guitar oriented band, I think, than a lot of new wave bands. We're talking about uh, Big Country and their album, The Crossing. Is is New Wave one of those labels that um, they just slap on something because they don't know what to describe? Because I would say, I would think this band is more whatever U2 and The Alarm came out of, and and uh, to a certain extent, um, The Cult. Yeah. I, that's what that sounds like to me. I think so. I think that... <clears throat> You know. I, when when I read uh, New Wave in yeah. association with this band, 
It's they have the right haircuts for New Wave, and I think that's all. <laughs> there's no keyboards. There's no key. No, yeah, I'm, and there's no. Uh, 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 uh. I don't mind yeah. that. I know you don't mind it. I'm just saying there's. You're no right. It's it's more. It sounds. It's more se- like serious and has. It's very serious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. very different yeah. from it's the meatloaf. Steinbeck one. grapes are half serious. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Doug, you uh, picked this album, so we'll start off. Uh, like we usually do on this podcast, asking you, what made you decide to pick this particular album for this podcast? Well, you know what chicks like? <laughs> cool haircuts. <laughs> the Ebo. <laughs> chicks like mystery. Ah, so ah. my picking this is very <laughs> mysterious <laughs> because if I'm uh, one of our gigantic fans and I say, oh, big country. What does my head tell me? <laughs> uh, this okay. is a Tony pick. Ah, yeah. you have arpeggios. Yeah, you have uh, people that bounce up and down while they play. <laughs> um, <laughs> there is zero blues. There is. Yeah, it sounds like well, blues hasn't even been invented on this yeah. album. Uh, the funny thing about that is uh, when these guys started this band, the two main guys started the band. They they're twin guitar band. And so people were like, okay, what are you going to be, like Thin Lizzy or something like that? And they're like, no, those that's a blues-based band. We want to get as far away from that as possible. <laughs> and they achieved they, it. Yeah, and sure and uh, I, think, I think when we look at the lines that divide the taste between uh, the three of us, one of the lines between uh, me and Tony is uh, blues. Uh, I, I, I like it in uh, heavy doses. And, and Tony... Um, Prefers it country blues. That's the blues. Or... Uh, or whatever Pink Floyd did that you could tolerate yeah. on uh, <clears throat> Wish You Were Here. I picked this album. I have a strange history with this album. It came out the year I started college, also the year I graduated. Um, college? No. Uh, I, I wish I would have done it in one year. My parents wish I would have done it one year. Um, no, uh, I, was, I was in Nacogdoches. Some of you outside of uh, Texas might need to get the map out. It's the oldest city in Texas. Yeah. One of them. There's about five that claim to be the oldest city in Texas. Anyway. One of the most east. Uh, yeah. So, one of my favorite places, Nacogdoches. It's a great place. town. It's a yeah. great town. And great fishing, which is why I went to school there. Um, I read this incredible review in Rolling Stone magazine and immediately walk to the record store because I have to have this. So I walk in there and I said, I need an album called Big Country. By the crossing. <laughs> <laughs> nobody had it. And I kept looking everywhere. Nobody had this album entitled Big Country by the Crossing. Uh, when did you realize your mistake? I can't remember how long it took, but I was really frustrated that nobody would have such a uh, well-reviewed album. Um, I, I remember one of the things that attracted me to it was they ta- everybody talks about this is a guitar album. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is a guitar album. It it's a guitar much. album like uh, um, uh, with Layla, the way the guitars dominate that album. But um, listening to it again for this podcast, you know what else it is? What's that? A drum it's a album. Drum. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it is. It is. <laughs> I, I want to say probably more than anything else we've talked about as drum forward as it could possibly be. I have never heard drums so high in the mix and yeah. so I, it, there, it's not 
it's a strange kind of busy. It's like a, a marching band drum. Well, line. it's yeah. I, I think it is absolutely uh, entwined with their whole sort of embracing that Celtic sound. Yep, you know, it's it's uh, it's not Keith Moon busy. No. It's marching busy. That's it's a perfect not, term for it. It's um, like a. It's not Neil Pert busy. No, it's like a call to arms. It gets you. Yeah. Uh, it wants to get you up and mm-hmm. moving towards mm-hmm. something. You know. And I, I think, uh, this band has limited uh, popularity, and I think that Marshall sound is. And when I say Marshall, I'm not talking about amps. I'm talking, <laughs> talking about the <laughs> military kind yeah, of. Yeah. I, I think that's a little bit about what limited their popularity because I love this album, but I can't listen to it that often because I can't be that intense right. and in formation. It, well, that's why I think it fits in with that whole U2 alarm yeah. mode of things because both of those yeah. bands were very similar in this sort of. I mean, you too had that kind of, and, and the alarm both had these sort of, uh, what would you call them? Um, uh, not, I don't want to use the word anthem. That's more of a Springsteen is, type of is. thing. It is. They but, are anthems. I would say very But, much but they've got that, um, both of those bands had that same kind of martial beat to a lot of their songs that make you just want to grab a flag and start marching through the field. Well, and you it's, know? Uh, I remember you uh, two did have a flag. Yeah. I was at their concert uh, yeah. for uh, war, the yeah. war concert, and. He's waving this white flag around, and all of us idiots are out there going, "Oh, that's so meaningful." I mean, he surrender. That's what. It, yeah. Why is he surrender? Anyway, he's waving, it and it falls down in the crowd, and everybody starts fighting over it. And he goes, "You're fighting over a white flag. How foolish is that?" <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of this that would not be able to enter my 50 year old. Yeah. Uh, so there's a there's a lot of hollering that goes on on those albums, including this one. I mean, and a lot of self righteousness. Uh, yeah. No, you were right. There we're is separated from the evil of the world. There is. We're a, the first ones to discover things aren't as they should be. It, it's it's a funny it's a funny different take on that folk feeling of we're going to change the world with our music type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, I, I don't know. It's more in your face, I guess, to a certain extent. Um, yeah, this is one of the most in your face albums that I think came out during this time. And there were a lot of in your face albums that yeah. came out. Unlike the alarm and Sunday, bloody Sunday. And a- They choose to uh, use topics that are remote from me, mm-hmm. so they don't irritate me. I don't feel like I'm getting a lecture. I feel like I'm hearing a, a folk tune, or I feel like I'm hearing mythology. Well, with with the moral implications I, of that, I'm not I'm not going to disregard your comment about YouTube, but I think you might want to. I know you won't, but you might want to go back and listen to Alarm because they weren't. That's not a preachy band in the same way YouTube. It's that idealism that uh, comes from the Utes. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's the same. It's the uh, political equivalent of what Born to Run is right. for love, where we're just this, that, that stupid, we just discovered um, injustice. Or <laughs> no, you're we right. We just discovered you're love. Right. Yeah. And you're it's, right. This and, album. And if I were 
hearing it for the first time at my age now, I might have choked on it a little bit, but um, they really don't come out and say they don't until yeah. I mean later albums they did. But there's cer- there's certain songs that um, you can if you're paying attention you can see that they're going on this album that they're going that direction. But they're yeah. def- they're definitely not. Well, I say it's in your face. The music's in your face, and I don't mean that in a bad way. But the the lyrics are much more um, I don't know cloaked if yeah. you will. And I, I think that they, they are. Um, they're very good musicians, and I think that's another thing oh, that, yeah. that has a, they have a little bit of a nod over bands like U2, bands like The Alarm. I mean, these guys know how to play guitar. Um, they the the backing band are they're alums. They were basically uh, studio hacks that they brought in, and uh, there were basically two guitar players looking for a. Um, a rhythm section and boy did they find one. well and steve lillywhite the guy who produced this album talks about them in comparison to other bands he's produced like you too where he just says these guys were musicians including including Stuart adamson the the lead singer and guitarist he's yeah. like i didn't have to do anything with that guy like i had to do with the edge yeah. you know it's like <laughs> the edge i'd spent a long time working with the guy Stuart yeah. came in and he knew exactly what was going he was an incredible guitar player and like you said the rhythm sections also i mean they played with towns p towns yeah for goodness yeah. Sake. So yeah, we can um, let, let's talk a little bit about this. Is our first album uh, that where we talk about Steve Lillywhite. Steve Lillywhite is the producer on this. He produced U two. Uh, he's produced how, how, so many people. U two's first three. He did yeah everything up until Unforgettable Fire. Now, I wonder um, what y'all think about this. Um, I just wonder if the alarm had made the trans transformation in sound that came. To you two, I, I, I wonder if they their popularity would have held on longer. Well, they tried, they tried. They did. Uh, I it, mean, it they, didn't work. Though. So no, because it had already. It is sort of that you know also ran thing. Listen, I was a bigger Alarm fan than I was a U two fan. I know I'm the outlier here in terms of U two guys, mm-hmm. but U two <laughs> guys. But uh, the the album strength is an obvious. Uh, uh, they because they toured with the they toured with U two prior to that it was an obvious nod on trying to make their sound oh, more really? approachable like the U two sound, um, yeah. But you're right it didn't it didn't hold on except for guys like me that were just suckers for that band which yeah. I was. So, um, but these guys came in they uh, they knew they when I was the art the articles that I read it's like you were talking about. Uh, they came in with their guitar sound. They knew how they wanted their guitars to sound. And there's one of the things that Steve Lillywhite does very, very well, I think is brings out a band's sound. He hones in on what makes this uh, band unique. And I think that he nailed it with this band on this particular album. He did. This doesn't sound like a pre, this does not sound like a debut album with a bunch no. of guys stumbling about trying to figure out where their sound is. Well, I think that has to do with the fact that the lead singer had success as a guitarist in another band that was very popular in the UK. I yep. mean, hugely popular in the UK. Um, the skids, uh, but you compare a- this to boy. I 
I mean, no, I boy, gotcha. has, boy, you see nascent talent all over it, but it is, it is not a, but a sharp sound. Stuart Adamson had already, or Adamson had already put, he'd already played guitar on four records that did. No, no, well, no, I'm, you know, I'm, so, I'm not, yeah. I'm not disputing what you're yeah. saying. I'm just uh, underlining the, how accomplished it sounded <laughs> on the first record and, and what, what, yeah. uh, what JM said about Steve Lillywhite and his comments are really evident if you compare this album to uh, U2's first album. And we're comparing Big Country and U2, which is probably one of the most unfortunate things that ever happened to <laughs> well, Big Country. Uh, yeah, what is it um, when, uh, and we'll get to this a little later, but when, uh, you know, the untimely demise of Stuart Adamson at, at, their, at their funeral, um, at his funeral, um, or wake or whatever you want to call it, uh, The Edge publicly stated big country wrote the songs or Stuart Adamson wrote the songs that you two wish they had done. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there was a whole lot of respect for this band, um, yeah. in the UK that never really transcended their first album here in the U S mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, odd and a shame, but, uh, I think you're, I think you're onto something, Doug, when you said that, you know, they embraced this sound that obviously made more sense to people, in Great Britain than it, than it did over here. It was uh, unique enough for them to get some play off their first album, but after that, it didn't it didn't inspire people to keep coming back for some reason. I don't really know why. Well, yeah. it's it's a great sound, but I I can see myself listening to um, maybe four Who albums in a row. <laughs> I cannot imagine listening to four Big Country albums yeah. in a row. And it's just because there's not enough variety. There's not. There's, uh, and, and that it's too earnest. I can't be earnest for that long. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's, it is tiring. Tell me a joke in one of these songs. <laughs> uh, the funny thing is about this band is they're, what, where, who are they, where are they identified with? Like what country are they identified with? Scotland. 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 None of these guys are Scottish. They, a couple of them grew up there, but not one of them was born in Scotland. Huh. Um, uh, Stuart Adamson was born in Manchester, close enough, I guess, to a certain extent. Bruce Watson was a Cana is a Canadian, and uh, Tony Butler and Mark Brzezinski Brins or whatever Brinsky. are both English as well. So, um, but there, I, I think it. I think obviously their sound has a lot to do with the fact that uh, Bruce Adamson and I'm sorry, Stuart Adamson and Bruce Watson uh, got together and wrote. The, kind of the foundational songs of this band before they got into the studio with the other two guys and started. And they are there. Those guys are very Scottish. They talk about how, <laughs> how funny it was when they do interviews and nobody could understand what they were saying. <laughs> it was very, if you watch, if you watch interviews with, um, with Bruce, Bruce Watson later on, I mean, it's a thick, he needs, he needs, uh, subtitles. Yeah. It is thick <laughs> for guys like us. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, we come from a place where they where there's not an accent, so for us, right. it's really it's, strange yeah. to hear the. It other. is strange to hear an accent. So they, the the both Stuart Adamson and Bruce Watson are from where? From Doug? You're gonna have to say the name of the place. Dum yeah. Dumfer It's uh, Dumfermline. 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 Dumb, <laughs> We're so bad. Uh, Dumfermline. Dumfermline. Thank you. Dumfermline. God, this is all embarrassing. Uh, what? Well, uh, we're not responsible for like, how to speak. Well, let's Scottish. let's have a Scots let's have a Scotsman say burn it. 
look at the word burn it and say it right, right? Um, or or Colorado. Koenig. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so those two guys grew kind of grew up together. Um, Guadalupe. Yeah, Guadalupe. Stuart, Stuart Adamson was. Uh, I keep saying that. Stuart Adamson was uh, was in the band. Like I said, he was in the band The Skids, which was a pretty popular um, punk band. time and the they early don't sound very punk they're not i mean they, they <laughs> I, I think what happened was they took on that punk so here's why they don't sound punk i'll tell you why because who they who were they inspired by they're inspired by the damned not by the sex pistols yeah. and the damned is they're punk in attitude but they're not in the same uk punk sound as the sex pistols were they're very much a, a rock and roll band and it's another one of these things where <laughs> they are too talented to uh, yeah. be strictly punk. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, later on, I would say they cross over into that, what you'd call the, the, the guitar oriented kind of Elvis Costello yeah, they, end of new wave. But, uh, yeah. So Stuart was Stuart Adamson was the guitarist for the skids. He wasn't the lead singer. Um, he co-wrote with the lead singer whose name was Richard Jobson. Um, but he kind of fell out of, I mean, he just sort of lost interest because, Evidently, Richard Jobson was starting to write stuff with a bassist, and he was more on an island. When they uh, when they recorded the last album he was on, he laid down guitar on one track and then left. Huh. He just left and went back to Dunfermline and uh, started poking around to try to find a band, you know, someone who'd play with him. And he remembered Bruce Bruce Watson, who had played in a band, played in a band with a guy who dated. Who Stuart Stuart Adamson dated the guy's sister and ended up marrying her later, so there was a connection there, and they just start writing songs together, the, the two of them, um, and uh, you know didn't have a rhythm section, had a actually had a drum machine early on, yeah, um, named what they call the drum machine. <clears throat> they might name their drum machines back then. Yeah, well, Echo was Echo, Echo and the Bunnymen. Yeah. They called theirs Doctor Roboto, I think is what they called <laughs> That's it. That's right. That's right. Um, so they get yeah. So I I'm, I've never really understood how Tony Butler and um, Mark Brzezinski got got in this because <clears throat> these guys were not sitting on their butts just waiting for a band to give them a call. They were Tony Butler uh, played all over uh, Pete Townsend's solo album Empty Glass, and I think that uh, Brzez, Brzezinski did as well on one song. He, he, he later became a full on member of. Uh, uh, Townsend's traveling band. They're both in the video of uh, Slit Skirts. Yeah. If you watch that, they're both in, not that I'd know what they look like. Uh, um, and, and Butler's also in the video for Let, Let My Love Open the Door. Yeah. Uh, But this is how they got got together. So they were in a band called On the Air, uh, the two of them, before they were playing with. But they were playing actually playing with Pete Townsend's son. That's who was. Um, oh, his son. His son yeah. was the huh. lead singer of On the Air. Uh, I Simon, I think, was Simon. Simon's Townsend. his brother. Oh, is it? Yeah, Simon Townsend's his brother. Okay, well, 
Scratch yes. that, then. <laughs> Scratch that. They were in a band with well, Simon, Townsend, with, yeah, Simon Townsend. Simon Townsend called On the Air, and uh, and uh, they had opened for the Skids on the Airhead, so they knew they knew Stuart oh. Adams, Adamson. God, I'm going to do this the whole episode. Yeah, they knew Stuart. Stuart Ad, yeah, Stuart, They knew Stu. Um, <laughs> and uh, Stewie. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so it, there was a connection there. And I think that's what did. I think that they were that you're right. They weren't sitting around looking for something, but I think they were intrigued by getting into the studio and playing with stuff. And they just had a connection with it and decided, Hey, let's jump on board. Yeah. Um, it's funny because before those two guys joined the band, the John Leakey, who was, uh, who's most known for having produced early XTC albums was the guy who produced, um, their, their early stuff when they were trying to get, when they were with the drum machine, trying to get a sound down. And then when they finally got, got in contractually signed to record they weren't quite big country yet but do you know who the producer was at that point somebody chris thomas yes exactly <laughs> somebody we talked to about chris thomas and uh and chris thomas didn't uh, this is the one sort of place where he was evidently not able to do work his magic huh. and well i think what was going on he was also producing uh too low for zero and Montserrat, which is the Elton John album, so he was splitting his time between then. Okay. And and then um so he wasn't really paying a whole lot of attention, I think, to Big Country. And then as well at that time, James Honeyman Scott died and they were very close. And so there was kind of the stuff going on where they just weren't getting the sound they wanted, so they decided yeah. to scrap scrap it. And and then Steve Lillywhite jumped on board because they ended up opening for a band whose drummer was Adrian Lillywhite, who was Steve Lillywhite's brother mm-hmm. and yeah. that's how that connection happened so it's kind of a whole uh, lot of luck stuff going brother, on the brother episode yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so that's how those guys got together and got got with them and how steve, steve lillywhite said when he listened to the demos the first thing he said was this band has a ton, the sound has a ton of joy yeah. to it and yeah. he said i want to be a, a joy in spirit and i want to be a part of whatever that is and so, and how he found the time to produce this band is another mystery to me. Because if you look, go find an album from 1981 to 1984, and just chances are that Steve Lillywhite either produced it or mixed it or had something to do with it. I mean, the guy was just incredibly busy, very much in demand at this time. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about him before, but uh, yeah, he's known for just finding the essence of a band and, and trying to pull that out. And he, uh, produced the psychedelic furs. Some of my favorite albums from this time period were produced by Steve Ellie White. Peter Gabriel. Yeah, Peter Gabriel's uh, third album. Later on, I think he worked with uh, Dave Matthews and and all those those guys. They kind of coaxed him out of uh, oh, retirement. That's, that's funny. Uh, but he's done just uh, so so many uh, the the Pogues, uh, Sushi and the Banshees. Um, if Su- Susie, Susie, I'm sorry, Susie and the Banshees. <laughs> you know, I don't think I, their I, sound I, is that fishy, but you never know. I think uh, if JM had a choice, this would be uh, this podcast would be called the producers. <laughs> well, I, I actually am. I'm I'm fascinated by that stuff too because um, what we have, I think, what we've talked about routinely on this podcast is what that. Act, what makes it unique? Well, and what that single person brings to something to make the sound it's, the way it does. You know, if, yeah. if you want to know if you're going to like a movie, yeah. you're better off checking out who the 
director is than rather than it. who's the star yeah, yeah. yeah it is funny though to think about chris thomas not being able to do it they did release a single um that he produced that's actually on this album um he the pro- harvest he produced harvest the, home harvest home and it it bottomed out at number 91 in the uk charts it didn't really go anywhere yeah. and uh and that was another reason they didn't think it would work but it's bizarre because that guy was that guy was like a hit maker yeah I, I will say though based on really? what we talked about in terms of the sound of this album and the whole u2 kind of that guitar sincerity thing steve Lee white was a better fit for these guys yeah he's much more a guitar oriented i mean he he does seem to produce Got guitar-oriented bands, and he does seem to bring out the guitars quite a bit. I mean, just listen to, again, Psychedelic Furs. Yeah. Uh, listen to the Pogues, the album that he produced by the Pogues. Um, even listen to U2's earliest albums. I mean, the guitar mm-hmm. is just way high up in, in the mix. Another thing that Steve Lillywhite, and I don't mean <laughs> to turn this into, hijack this into a Steve Lillywhite uh homage but well it's someone besides yourself we're proud of (laughs) we are it's just growth thanks um he i i take this because i'm a i'm a nerd i take this uh magazine called tape op and it's about guys that mix and engineer records and steve lillywhite is also known for his ability his mixing ability he's he mixes almost he's mixed almost every u2 album but he says he purposefully does not he he doesn't he says I don't play instruments and he said I he purposefully does not so that he won't try to gravitate towards a sound on the album. Oh that's and he says I, I'm not gonna I don't want to insert my He's not like Daniel Lenoir. Yeah, he's not who like Daniel inserts Lenoir. himself. <laughs> yeah. Or Todd Rundgren. Or know. Todd Rundgren who inserts himself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's funny. That's that's that, but that makes uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um I, it, it's it, it, what's amazing about him is he gets he gets with this band they produce they produce a single called Fields of Fire and it release it in February of '83 and everything changes for that band it hits number ten in the UK mm-hmm. they open for U2 they appear on the great uh, old gray whistle test and and it's just it everything seems in place for this band to be the next yeah. big thing and yeah. a lot of it has to do with that change in producer because yeah. he knew what to do with them yeah. I think we should go into the album. Well, I think that's a good idea. Okay. So we're going to start on side one, the first song. And we have a hit. A, a hit. hit. This was this was actually released as a single prior to this album. So That's there's right. three. Just before we get into meat and potatoes, there's three prior singles on this album in addition to other stuff they did, which I guess is in the, in the early to mid '80s wasn't unusual for that to be the case. Right. Um, but yeah, this is in what in a big in a big country. country. And all I can say about this song is wow. I mean, it's. I had never heard anything like it when it came out. The drums, just the the, the symphony of drums that comes in to start it, this thing. It listening to it again, it sounds like a drummer started a band. Yeah. <laughs> well, and 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 uh, here we go. Drink up. The funny thing about that <laughs> is uh, the the album version of this song um, has an extended drum intro from the single. I think it added. 
I don't know how many, know. how it's, much to it, but it's it adds, almost like thirty seconds. Of maybe it is a lot. It is, and yeah. it and it, uh, it's it's almost like it's out hacking down trees to make room for the uh, guitar <laughs> that's going to come in. Yeah, yeah. Then it just goes down to just a hi hat and a kick, and you hear that uh, that really compressed beginning guitar coming in, and that almost uh, pizzicata string sound thing. They get more sounds out of their guitars, by the way. And than, and this is that. Uh, People talk about the uh, bagpipe sound. Yeah. yeah. And we need to they, talk about that. They, right? <laughs> they all say that it's the Ebo that gives them the bagpipe That's sound. That's not right. But the most bagpiping <laughs> tunes on here, he's not using the, the Ebo. Ebo. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. I, I, it has something to do with the guitar tone and them playing together. It yeah. does. But it's more than that. It's, it's, it's the, the tunes are. Celtic sounding, very Celtic sounding, so you and you it's, associate. You see, I'm not saying only that, oh, because it does sound like bagpipes huh. when they play. But you're also associating uh, Celtic um, melodies or yeah. modes yeah. with um, with this guitar. And yeah. I I can't tell you how many reviews I read where they said, "Oh, it's the Ebo that makes." It. And I think that's just lazy. No, because it is if lazy. you listen to Fields of Fire, it's the most bag bagpipian of all, and there's no Ebo. Well, and and uh, this song was an enormous success for this band. Yeah, um, and, and 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 they put out one of the worst videos ever. Well, but yeah, it, it got a lot. It got a lot of applause. Played yeah, a lot. It's not because yeah. it was a good video. It's because yeah, it's the, a great the video. Song. Did not make me uh, warm like, me to the band at all. It's like we have a chance to do everything we've ever wanted to do. So get out the four wheelers it may have been three wheelers yeah. at that time and they did every jumps and everything stupid. they ever wanted to do and got someone else to it, pay for it it was <laughs> it was um it was uh it reached number 17 in the uk and number 17 on the billboard hot 100 number three on the top rock charts huh. um it was nominated for i think best uh whatever the, video not video like best single or whatever you call yeah, it yeah. um and uh, and it lost. I think it lost to synchronicity by the police. I think you're right. Um, yeah. yeah. But uh, and that says something because if you think about uh, when this album came out and when it was marching up the charts, what was also on the charts at the time was synchronicity. U uh, two uh, um, was was getting big. Um, Thriller. Uh, yeah. Let's Dance by David Bowie. Thriller by Michael Jackson, for those of you who don't know that. <laughs> um, I mean, it was a big deal. This album was huge, and it and it and it hit this peak, uh, and, and and it didn't go any further because it was competing with those much larger albums. But the fact that it did as well as it did, I think, speaks I volumes to it. Stuart Adamson was inspired to write it after hearing what Steve, Steve Lillywhite did with Fields of Fire. So he was inspired by Steve Lillywhite. Huh. And then when Steve Lillywhite heard the song, he says it brought him to tears. Wow. Which is kind of a, a neat little story that they yeah. were that that in tune with each other, you know? Yeah. Well, and uh, So we've talked about the drums on this. We've talked about the guitar. The bass on this is incredible. The bass on this whole album is great. Yeah, the bass on the, the, the whole, the musicianship on it. You guys think the bass disappears sometimes, though? Well, almost everything does sometimes when the drums kick in. <laughs> I, I was, I, I was, th I was, uh, entertaining myself with thoughts of i'm going to be accused of picking this album because the bass disappears so frequently <laughs> oh, that's funny no jam and i aren't that no. sophisticated yeah pull up your head off the floor come up screaming yeah. cry out for everything you ever might have wanted i just this i think he's he writes good lyrics i, I like the lyrics on this album there's a lot that 
seem to be making references to things that me and no one else knows about but this one's quite clear this is this is an anthem yeah oh and definitely. it's about get up and go again and uh it's not the biggest one on the album it's but not it's, but it's full yeah. of hope and I, I think, yeah, I think that's right. Um, and I think that that was, um, you know, we'll talk a little bit later about kind of where that that leaves sometimes. But I think that's the thing. I think Steve Lillywhite was right when he heard these songs and they just felt so joyous in a way that was kind of unusual for music at that time. And it's, yeah. and it's so ironic given the way uh, the the creator ended. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the next song, Inwards. Love this one, too. Uh, this song, I, like I love this song. It's got an odd... The way it starts off is a little odd. It does. And the drum, and you want to talk about the drums being kind of in your face yeah. on this this song. They really are. Um, but yeah, I really, really, really like this song. I forgot to mention, uh, it was wor it's worth noting just because it's interesting. Um, when they went in the studio before they got the current rhythm section for this album, they actually, uh, um, Rick Bu Buckler from The Jam, uh, was the drummer with them for a while. And this was one of the songs they worked on with him. I could see him working on this. Yeah. Uh, this is a this is a fantastic song. Yeah. It is. And uh, I don't have any confidence. I know what they're talking about. I don't know what they're talking about either. <laughs> no, um, it's, about. it's weird because it sounds to me... I hate when I sound pretentious, but I'm about to sound pretentious. It sounds both sad and hopeful at the same time to me, this song. I don't know what it's about. But it's melancholy, but yet at the same time, there's like glimmers of, of something shining through. I, I just really, really like it. I'd heard In a Big Country so many times growing up yeah. that I that I um, when we were listening to this, I, would, I wouldn't pay as much attention to it. But when this song came on, I'll be honest, I didn't know much about this band before we started listening to it outside of a couple of songs. But when this song came on, it just grabbed me every single time it came on. I wanted to hear it. And it was one of those things I wanted to hear again. Yeah. I really and, like it. It's not my favorite song on the album, but I really, really like it. I know it. what your favorite song is. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm gonna, uh, it'll be funny because I'm going to ask you guys when it comes up. <laughs> anyway, um, it's it's a good song. Um, it starts it, off with that finger picking at the beginning, and it, you, it goes into a totally different direction. Well, the drums are so weird, and they're not, it's not like a, a it's, I'm not a musician, but the beat seems weird to me because you've got the one like bam, bam, and then there's this other kind of yeah. offbeat as well. Um, it's yeah, interesting, but this, this guy is not um, in in what do you call it in the pocket? <laughs> no, he's not in the pocket. There ain't no in the pocket drumming on. Ain't this. no pocket. He's, he, but there is a lot of rolling. I mean, it's kind of like I I almost think of it as like control Keith Moon. You know the way that he plays, he he does so many rolling beats, and you know Keith Moon is just all over the place when he's playing. But you know, he, I think it sounds like there's a drum line, not just one drummer. Yeah. No, you're, I, yeah, that that I think you're right. The whole album sounds that way. When the high school's practicing, yeah. here, <laughs> no, you're right. Like seven a.m. in the morning when I'm out jogging. Yeah, maybe these guys should have yeah. worn marching band uniforms <laughs> instead of tartan. But that this was is... tried. That was a very successful album where they did that. Oh yeah, <laughs> what was that? Who was that again? Oh, that band that ruined rock and roll. Oh, the Rolling Stones. <laughs> yeah. One of the 
prominent uses of digital delay, I think, on an 80s album on this oh, particular song. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it's, it, you know, I think the first time I ever heard a digital delay, I remember hearing a digital delay was uh, Run Like Hell with uh, by Pink Floyd. And then... <laughs> And then this is like, you don't really, even though the edge kind of used it, he didn't use it so much until after the Steve Lilly white period. Well, and now you, this I, is the first time you ever really I, just hear it. I think, I think that's worth mentioning because I think even though this band opened for you two, I think big country had an immense impact on the bands that were around the UK at that time. They, yeah. they changed the way a lot of, including you two, the way they approached the way that their sound was. And I think that probably, yeah. I think the, the edge probably glommed onto I'm that. Sure, I'm sure he did. So, hey, I, I remember that? getting in, to a huge argument about um, Stuart uh, Adam Adamson Thompson. versus um, the Edge, the Edge, and saying he is so much better. Well, yeah, than I don't think there's. A, I don't think the Edge. I don't think the Edge would sure argue. The Edge would have been on my side, yeah. but uh, yeah. I, I remember arguing that. And uh, what are you talking about, man? So anyway, yeah. All right, the next song, Chance. This was a number nine single in the UK. Is this, I, your, is this your favorite, Tony? No. God! We were guessing it was going to be your favorite. This is one of my favorites. I don't know if it is my favorite, but I, I, I love this song. I, and this is, you know, again, this is one of the most prominent uses of an Ebo that you'll hear so, on an album. And we, uh, and, and to, I will make a promise to those of you who go to our website. Uh, uh, there's a fantastic video showing exactly what the Ebo is so you can... No longer go Ebo. What are they talking about? We'll, we'll have that on this episode, so please check it out. Yeah. So basically, an Ebo, it's an electric sounds for stands for electric bow. But what happens is it's it's this device that you put on your uh, guitar string, and it only goes one does one string at a time. But it makes the string through some magnetic means makes your string just vibrate at an impossible. Speed. Well, it's got a battery in it, so I'm assuming, it's got a assuming it does it. something to do that, right? Yeah. Is it mag? Is it, it through I think some it's magnetic? magnetic. I'm yeah. not comfortable where we're going with this conversation. <laughs> uh, the the guitar bridge on this song was evidently uh, came about when the drummer was trying to write a song playing only the black keys on the piano. Is that right? Yeah. So it it inspired the bridge on this <laughs> song. Well, this is my favorite um, song on the album, and it's, it's uh, so elegant. It, it is. is. It's basically three verses and a chorus that sum up a story about, so effective. About this deadbeat. Yeah. Well, it's just this poor girl gets out of her sorry, uh, the sorry home she grew up in into another sorry yeah. home with some guy that leaves her with kids. Yep. And it's... Um, it, I think one of the main reasons I like it so much is it's so different than the rest of the album. It is. It is. It's like a little oasis away from... And it's got uh, that Caribbean, those guitars. Again, yeah, the guitars that, just doing some it weird... Has, it makes uh, that Caribbean like, um, steel drums. Steel drums. It yeah. does. The guitars <laughs> I, it, the steel it, yeah. it, is, it is incredible the sounds they're able to get out of the guitars on this album. Yeah. Because, it, like we mentioned, bagpipes, we've mentioned... I mean, it's, it's, it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's... it's that yeah. nothing about the song makes you think that oh yeah we're gonna we're in the Caribbean now <laughs> no but right here they come and it works 
It works very yeah. well. It works yeah. a lot better it's, than a lot of bands that tried to do that right. around the same time. Right. It is so interesting. Well, that's one of the things I think they do very well is that they, they do come up with unique sounds, but for their guitar but they're not saying hey look we've come up with it yeah it doesn't get in the way of that no it doesn't and you know i i I listened to that a lot of times before i went what yeah (laughs) yeah it's a it's a good song it's not my favorite though can't believe it's not your favorite yeah i would have guessed it was your favorite really i think it's my second favorite Um, that's that was ten dollars. Oh, okay. Oh. That's not. I thought that. you were paying off, but you got the <laughs> song wrong. Um, all right. And then yeah, the yeah. So what the next song is a thousand stars. Holy cow, do I love the guitars in this song. The guitar interplay on this is so cool. And it goes, have you noticed that it goes from channel to channel? Yeah, yeah. the guitars on this song are so fantastic. Yeah. You know what the song is about, Doug? No. I'm guessing it looks like a card game. Nuclear war. Oh. Is he for or against? I'll I'll leave that up to you. A lot of these guys are anti-nuclear uh, war, I've noticed. I think probably most people are anti-nuclear war. <laughs> I don't know. It's so judgmental. <laughs> now, I I don't claim to know that from reading the lyrics. I oh. claim to know that from the band saying it's about nuclear war. <laughs> So, I think that so I I just want to I want full disclosure. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, uh, I liked it more before. I knew you would say that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's another thing we should add to the drinking game. Yeah. When Doug how, finds how, out, it's how, out when the veil's taken off and it's not yeah. magic anymore. Last so, song on this side is the storm. This would be my favorite song if it weren't for what my favorite song is. <laughs> I thought I was saying I was thinking you were gonna think this one was too long. No, I love this song. It's so some acoustic guitar, which is a nice. Uh, yeah, yeah that's I, a nice well, and the, I'm guessing it's the Evo is used on this song, right? The Evo, yeah. Is, yeah. yeah the, it starts off with just one Evo, and then they do. It's the like new, the Evo, Evo unleashed. Yes, they have, then they both join in, I and mean, then there's a a dual Evo attack. And then you have the the uh, bass player actually playing those chords over it. That's, yeah, that's I, interesting. it's very soaring, very Celtic. Yeah. Everything. Yeah, I like the song a lot. Oh, it's it got seems, that those brushes on his drums. It, it, it seems um, it, if you were going to find a song, I think this is why I like it. If we were going to find a song that sort of hit that the, what big country was going for, yeah, I think this song does it very very well. Not as much as a song on the second side, but I think it, it does it in a different way. Yeah, it, it, it's in parts, it's not like an Irish jig. Yeah. Well, it sounds like uh, Mordor through his, <laughs> they, they came in and burned this town and kidnapped everybody, and all the. Everybody got on a horse and went, and they're all they're all Going furious, up. and they catch the guys that did it and kill everybody yeah. and take and rescue who's left, and they go back, and no. Nobody's happy. I love this kind of songwriting because who yeah. the hell else does this? Yeah, I mean, yeah. this isn't um, Led Zeppelin uh, doing well, Lord mean, of the Rings. Uh, yeah, Led Zeppelin doing their sort no of uh, whatever they did. They they they're lightweight 
yeah. understanding of what Tolkien was talking yeah. about. Yeah. This is, and, and this doesn't have anything to do with Tolkien, but it's no. just, it's the scene. You, you've seen the scene. It's even in Star Wars when Luke Skywalker comes home and finds out that mm-hmm. his yeah. uh, uncle and, and I'm uncle, not even a Star uncle Wars. Uncle Owen guy. and Aunt Beru. So, yeah, okay, there we go. Yeah, Tony's <laughs> stepping in. All right. We're going to flip it over. Flip We're going to flip the album over. This is when you, you could still flip an album over yes, in 1983. I just flipped it over so I could see the lyrics on that side, too. And we have. Uh, the first song, side hit. one, should be a hit. Well, it was, it's a little bit hit. Little it, bit was, hit. it was Harvest, their first, Harvest Home. Is their the first single. It's, this song sounds to me like someone condensed the Scottish Highlands into a three-minute song. <laughs> it's my favorite song in the album. This um, is the one that was produced by Chris Thomas. Uh, the, right. I think the only song that survived that production. Huh. Um, did he? I, they didn't redo it? Well, yeah. okay, here's what I don't understand, Doug. Supposedly, everything on this album was redone, but when I listen to the single version of this and listen to the album version, I, the same? I can't tell the difference. So maybe they did. I don't know if he's if he's got given production credit on the album, if he's not, then they re-recorded it. But I, I can't tell the difference. Maybe wow. sonically there's a difference, but well, he's not credited. On so the there album. you go. Maybe they, yeah. cause I know Steve Lillywhite wanted to scrap everything and start over. So maybe they did, hmm. um, on mm-hmm. that, but well, it's kind of like when a new male lion takes over the, uh, pride <laughs> kills all the cubs. Yeah. Um, no, this is, this is, this is pretty, I mean, this sounds, like I said, like someone grabbed Scotland and yeah. uh, especially the Highlands and just melted them into three minutes. Yeah. And it's, it's, and I know that Americans have a sentimental notion of Scotland. Yeah. I mean, to me, there's not cities. It's all rolling hills. Yeah. And, and everything's people green. People drinking uh, and, scotch. And, there's and n- the sun never shines. And you, you take hikes all the time. Yeah. And they I mean, have big hairy cows. And this is full of that kind of imagery. I know. And yeah. I love it. So if you're from yeah. Scotland listening to this, please don't write us and tell us it's yeah. not like that. Please don't tell us you don't have grass on your roof. Yeah, they, they get rain all the time. It's not like Texas where if it <laughs> rains, people get so excited they can't quit talking about it. <laughs> um, the, the sending bass line on that chorus oh, yeah. is just incredible. Um and then there's that guitar riff that kind of goes in between each verse. That the, I, the, just the rhythm section in general on this song is just yeah, yeah, very pretty remarkable. Yeah, um, and, and watch the Canute and his bride. Yeah, yeah. Are they talking about the Danish king? I don't know. Well, I did some work on it, and and that makes sense to me, but. We probably need someone uh, from Scotland to, to tell us about that part without telling us that you have uh, McDonald's. <laughs> Is that? And uh, I believe in Scotland it's McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's <laughs> sorry. It, it's hard for me to figure out why this song didn't take off. Yeah. I don't get it. It's it's maybe a great it's, it's long, a great song. Yeah, maybe I don't yeah, know. I think but you hit it when you were talking about what else was going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, there's a period of adjustment when you hear this. It's not like you were stepping off one stone and then your natural step is this. Right. This mm-hmm. is this is 
jumping in the water and swimming about half a mile to get to the next stone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not yeah. like anything anyone's heard, and uh, of course. I, Again, I, that's I dig that. Like, where did this I, come from? I do too, and I think that's that's not that's worth mentioning that this band was so unique in what they were bringing to the table um, that it's a shame that at least in the states that that didn't go that that didn't get get them further than it did. And if even we're talking about their sound largely that's yeah. unique, but mm-hmm. the subject matter yeah. and the lyrics yeah. are yeah. completely different than anything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, Stuart Ad- Adamson is is very well respected by a great many songwriters from this period as being one of the best. He is, and he's very unique. Mm-hmm. He's, yeah. I'm I'm sure that there are influences that we could find out about, but I couldn't find them. Yeah, and I don't recognize them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Moving on to the next song, side uh, two, song two, uh, Lost Patrol. <laughs> This is a pretty depressing song. <laughs> it is a depressing song. And again, it, it begins with that Ebo again. It's another Ebo-centric uh, song. It, there is know? no beauty here, just a stench of wine. And this beer. is an anti-war song, Doug. Are you okay with this one? Mm-hmm. I'm against war. I know. Unless they deserve it. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, it's, and again, it's got that uh, delay in it. Um, it it's, yeah, it's... It's kind of it's got everything '80s guitar in it, but doesn't sound too '80s, I guess. But yeah, it's not the most uplifting song. No, it's uh, well, the subject matter is depressing. Why? Why do you say that? There is no beauty here, friends. Just death and rank decay. (laughs) (laughs) You think that's that's depressing? Uh, no, I I have I, I usually write that in my birthday cards to people. <laughs> That's what we gotta start doing. <laughs> Here's one of I my like favorite the, songs. I like the song a lot, though. It's just uh, it's it's tough to listen to often. That was well, I think all of it is that way. It's it, um, yeah. it's what what's it in the in Much Ado About Nothing where she doesn't want to marry the prince. She goes, "You're too rich for." day to day <laughs> i think that's what this album uh, that's, is that's yeah, that's interesting it's yeah. too rich for, for daily day. listening yeah, yeah. It, is. it is um you know I, I, tony and i were talking but i spent a week listening to monkeys albums over and over. <laughs> it was like the anti-big country <laughs> it is and i think that's why is um you can listen to monkeys every day and it's I, not going to get you yeah it doesn't this, require a lot of you this I, is too this is too rich all right let's move on to close to action. So, one of my favorites. This is my favorite song of the album. It's a wonderful. I will carry you home. You know, you know what I like about this song? Um Maybe this goes to what you were saying, Doug, about how this is too rich for everyday listening. This song is not. You're right. right. You're right. This song is the simplest and sounding song on the, the album. It's the most U2 sounding. They almost outdo U2 on this song. Um, it's this not, is a song people could cover. Well, yeah. and, and, and what I was going to say, what I have in my notes here is there's not a whole lot going on for a big country song. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think that's part of the appeal. And, and you know, I don't, that's not to knock anything else. It's just I, I, I hadn't really thought about it until you said that, Doug, that this is – it's, it's – um, 
it's a little intense. Yeah. And so when you get a break from that, it really mm-hmm. stands out. And this song does it. This is my favorite. I love this song. I love it. Yeah. I do too. Um, I used to like it when I listened, but revisiting it, yeah. I, it, it's the one that popped out yeah, more me than too. any other. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's irresistible. I and I would like to hear some people cover it. It ought to be covered frequently. Yeah. It's yeah. a great song. It I, should I like be. I'd like to hear Emily Harris what she would do with it. <laughs> Let's, well, we should write her. Yeah. It's got the uh, another use of the Evo through it. Yeah. Um, kind of on the solo part. Um, there's got solos just going all over the place. Yeah. Um, it's another reason why I think it's accessible. It, it, that's the perfect uh, word for it. Yeah, it's accessible. They, yeah. And they don't step on each other. And that bass is just something. Again, that's the most... Oh, the bass! I think the bass uh, comes out more on this one than anywhere yeah. else. Well, again, it's it's just a very kind of straightforward song in a way that nothing else on this album is. In particular, right. when we get to the next song, <laughs> um, it's just not. And uh, and I think looking back on it with hindsight, it really makes the song great and unique in its own way um at the time when this album came out i'm sure people are like what is this because you were expecting something like the next song but uh but it is it's it just like you said uh, hindsight's well, 2020 is, i guess this is the third i guess um the whoever was choosing i guess it's lily white whoever's choosing the order of these songs uh-huh. agrees with me that um chance uh-huh provides a respite, and this provides a respite in, yeah. in the same oh, way. Uh, yeah, I could see that because yeah, because you got to brace yourself. You got to brace yourselves for fields of fire. Yeah, when it and hits. Yeah, pro hole man is what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, speaking of fields of fire. So this the was, next song. This was their second single, mm-hmm. um, and this is what kind of changed everything for them. This is a song when you hear it, you want to drop everything you're doing, mm-hmm. grab the closest stick you can find, and march off to do something. <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> it makes but, me want to put on a big uh, fuzzy hat and put on a kilt and put you know a sash and get yeah like get a big stick and start this, marching. This was this was a top ten single for them. Tony Butler says it's. Um, says it's uh his his favorite song on the album the guitar sounds even more bagpipey than well, they do on uh, yeah and and, and it gives the lie to the ebo being the reason and, for that so yeah and it's um that. and it's funny uh it's funny drink drink uh <laughs> when rolling stone reviews this song or this album they said this song in particular was one of this is a quote one of the great resounding anthems of this year or any other year yeah um and it is. This is an. This is anthemic. You this is that, that may be that may be that the review that made me walk oh, all over the maybe. world looking yeah. for uh, the yeah. band The Crossing. Uh, here, here's a little interesting tidbit, JM, that you, being the music nerd, you'll get into. Okay. Uh, it's written in the key of D, um, but he had the band tune their instruments one full note up to E, um, so that the singer could get into could so get that the... Stuart, Stuart could get into a higher range. Ah. But they play it in D when they play it live. Okay. Yeah. Huh. So, anyway, just a little tidbit. 
Yeah. Too. They probably just had some sort of droning effect or something that they got off the D string and they just put oh, the, uh, so. cause that, that droning effect probably helps with the bagpipe. Yeah. That probably has something to do with it. Call anyway, their, uh, this, this is the most sort of grab your, what is it? Clayhorn or what? I'm trying to think of some <laughs> Scottish thing. And go, uh, you just grab you something gotta, Scottish. And, uh, <laughs> you got to gird up your kilt. Yeah. And go marching off into the, into the <laughs> highlands and, uh, I don't know, grab your haggis. And, <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to hear the equivalent of this is vital tap in Scotland talking about Texas yeah. music. Hear what they say about us. So they think of us riding horses grab in our cowboy hats. Yeah. Let's go brand this is where this is a song where you grab a jalapeno and a rattlesnake. Let's and... go shoot somebody. <laughs> you got your you got your AR. <laughs> yeah, I want to I want to put on it's the high, I want to put on the Highlander when I'm listening to this song. Last thing about this, I love how the everything stops in this song and he sings over those drums. Oh yeah, and just, yeah. And then when the everything comes back together, and he's talking about was it 500 miles or 400 yeah. miles or however yeah. many miles. Again, Marshall is the perfect yeah. term for this song because yeah. it's got that rolling drum oh, sort of. Yeah. Um, I really do. I, I defy anyone to listen to this. I don't and think not. the guy hits cymbals, you know? Oh, you're probably right. I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't He's either. like uh, 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 Gabriel. Yeah. yeah. Peter Gabriel. Yeah, uh, so Bill get Collins. That, and get them cymbals off of my I, record. Yeah. I, but I, I defy anyone to listen to this song and not. And I mean, you're going to fight sitting down. You can't sit down and listen to this song. You want to get up yeah. and. It, you want to do something. I remember liking when this song came out on MTV, liking it more than, uh, well, uh, big country, big country. It's worth mentioning. Yeah. The video for this was pretty popular. It had them had toy trains and the bands riding around yeah. the passengers in the toy train. It was, it was a pretty little nifty video. They could have yeah. done really cool. They should have gotten the guy that did all this wood carving art. They should have emanated that and they could have had yeah. some cool videos. Dude, like a la aha. Uh-huh. They probably didn't have. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. He gets the girl in the video, though. Yeah. Well, that's that's what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen. Except I have no interest in any woman except for my wife. <laughs> all right. Next song. All right. Uh, this is probably my second favorite. I don't know. Second or third favorite song on the album. Uh, it's a great closer. Poor Roman. Inspired by an H.G. Wells uh, story, Pollock and the Porho Man, and he uh, spells it differently. He does. I, um, I, I don't dislike this song. Uh, I and and I see what you're saying about it being a good closer, and it's kind of a a little bit of a breath from the last oh, song. He spells but, it right inside the lyrics. But what's what's difficult for me is it's hard. It's hard for me to listen to anything after Fields of Fire. I could see that well, it. it I I was predicting that this one you were going to say it was too long. It's a little. Uh, it is tedious. a little long. It, it's uh, well, I I really don't dislike anything on this album. But again, in terms of uh, in terms of my what I how I would sync sequence this, I don't know how you put something on after Fields of Fire because Fields of Fire is going to make you want to flip the album over and listen to it again. Yeah, you know. But I I see what you're saying. I mean, I, it is I a little like bit. It. It, I get it. It's a little bit of a of a sigh after the big right. Plunge. 
Well, it's the it's the it's uh, it's like jungle it's, land. It's the storm. Yeah, on like this, I mean, it, it's it's so clear the way he, uh, the way the album's sequenced. Yeah. Um, you have Harvest Home matched with Big Country, but but Lost Patrol you, matched but, with Inwards, and then. Yeah. Uh, but we've talked about this before. Do you want to end the album on? I mean, sometimes it's sometimes you do. Yeah, right? I would have ended it on Fields of Fire. I don't. I don't. Um, I think I, don't I would know have where ended I would have put that one. Yeah, I don't know. That's the thing. I don't know where else you would have put this. No, I, I would probably put it between Lost Patrol and Harvest Home. I, 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 I kind of, I kind of agree with Jam. I think if this is going to be on the album, it makes sense to have it end the album. But it's just difficult once you. Right. Once Fields of Fire is on, it's like that's you don't you don't want. You almost it. want if you if there is going to be something after Fields of Fire, you want something kind of short, maybe like real pretty and just uh, like Her Majesty. Yeah, well, not even like I'm thinking <laughs> more like me, I, I hate that. <laughs> but there, a thing about the, this, this, there's parts that just come in and out of this song that it, it's. Really, real well arranged. I mean, it, it's a song that needs it's a to good, be heard. It's a good song. Yeah. I and don't want to say it's not a good right. song. It's just I'm talking about sequencing. So because of that, it it yeah. makes me step back and kind of rethink things. But no, it's I I don't disagree with you, Jam. Yeah. It's a good song. Um, There's not a bad song on this album. No, and it, it ends with that. It's got that breakdown. It's got all. I mean, it's just a. Yeah. It's a it's fascinating fun. song. It's a, it's a really really good song. It's a fun song. But uh-huh. but again, I think. Uh, you know, I'm always. I don't know why I'm always surprised at how how well Doug is able to kind of put things into succinct thoughts. But um, people ask me to shut up so often, I have to get it out. Maybe quickly. so, but ju- just your your cons your 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 the thing you came up with about this being such a rich album. That's the thing. I mean, that's yeah. the absolute truth about this album is it's difficult to listen to multiple times because it it's exhausting. Yeah, it is, it um, is. to and listen think- to. I think when I was a kid, when this album came, I, I don't know how long I've owned, I've owned this album. I bet that I put it on my turntable five times. It, it was it was a workout listening to this album almost. Uh, that's that's another good word for it. Yeah. It's not. Um, it's not putting on. Hey, look, I'm about to go party on a. It's not driving down the road having a good time with your buddies. It, like when is the right time to listen to this album? Yeah, it, it's 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 almost in a weird way the most. I've got to be in the mood to listen to this album that we've done on yep. this on yeah. this podcast. Yeah. It's I can I can I see, see it uh, like Sunday evening when you're exhausted and <laughs> you put your headphones on and you sit down in your chair and I you think I want to listen to a record and not do anything yeah. else. Yeah, I think it'd be perfect for that. Well, and and not to keep going back to Fields of Fire, but when you watch video of them playing that live and watch the crowd reacting to that song, you can tell. Uh, that that song, I mean, there's just something about that particular song that gets it. But again, at the end of that, where do you go? Because the the crowd is sweating, they're panting. Yeah. They're like, I don't yeah. know what to do now. Yep. <laughs> you know? Probably for your, you saved that one for the... Uh, the encore? The encore. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, and the lights come up after. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that kept coming out to me when I was listening to it was like, if you wanted to hear what all the cool guitar sounds of the eighties were, this is the album for you because, but it's not that it's over. I mean, it's not like it's a, it's a, it's a survey of it. It's just like, Hey, these guys were on the cutting edge of using the guitar. They were the boss of new noise. Well, it's, it's fun. It's funny. (laughs) That term again. It's interesting. This, this, I don't, I don't think, I don't think the three of us, 
with the age we were, maybe anybody was really paid, paying attention to this band the way maybe we all should have been paying attention right. to them, at least in the States. Right. You know? Um, it got, it, this album got a lot of Doug Cooper play over and did over it? again. And I remember trying to force a lot of other people to listen to well, it. Well, this is one of those albums that I am very glad you picked yeah, because I didn't know a whole lot about it. it. I never disliked Big Country. I never thought, oh, when you picked it, I was just more surprised than anything else because it didn't seem like something you would pick. Well, like I said, I, if, if it came out right now, I don't know that it could get... Through my uh, yeah. grumpy old yeah. man defenses, but but listening to it, I was I I was constantly surprised by this album. Like even yeah. after listening to it this you know tenth fifteenth time, mm-hmm. something would strike me as being surprising, you know. Yeah, and which speaks volumes to the the uh, the complexity of the music, the um, you know just the um, mm-hmm. how great these guys were. Well, just phenomenal music and the songwriting. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's a good thing. It, the sound they came up with with the bagpipe sound. Yeah. Just coming up with the idea, hey, let's make guitars sound like bagpipes. The well, the bad side of that is that people branded them yeah. as a yeah. novelty act. Yeah. And yeah. that was unfair. It was. Um, their guitars did a lot more than sound like bagpipes. <laughs> yeah. And the band did a lot more than... Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And they, uh, they had subsequent success with... With albums that came after this one. Well, the and album the after EP, this. Immediately, the EP after this has uh, some of my favorite. Wonderland. Yeah. 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 Uh, Wonderland is absolutely amazing. Well, and that song, based on that song alone, uh, big the, the Crossing shot back up the charts again. Yeah. yeah. Wonderland is a but magical it's song. It's one of the best EPs, I think, ever. And, and for those of you who aren't old farts, uh, they used to do that a lot. They, especially during this period, yeah. they would put out an EP, which means extended play instead of long be play. Four, five songs on it, maybe. Yeah. Four or five songs. And, Two on one side, maybe three on the um, other. It was a way to maintain the momentum after a big album. And uh, Wonderland, uh, it has four great songs on it. You know, and I really, uh, I've got that right here. I, I listen to that as much as I do uh, the Crossing. Well, before we get to Wonderland, I, I it's I think it's important to mention that the, we talked about how big this album was. This album, at least in the UK, was on the charts for eighty weeks. Wow! Um, it was it, uh, it was uh, it hit. What did I say? Number I forget where it hit. Number three or something like that in the UK. And it was eighty weeks on the charts. That's amazing. Um, yeah, so it was it was a big deal. Um, anyway, yeah. So and that that they had a it, lot. They have a lot of records. I, I was a little bit surprised. I was too. Um, well, I think that's I think that's the thing that again is a is kind of a crime in the states is that we don't understand the album that immediately per, uh, came after this hit number one on the Steel charts. Town. The Steel Town yeah. one. But this album got nom- I mean, this band got nominated for two Grammys: best single, which is in a Bun country, and um, best new group. The other, this is I love talking about this kind of stuff because think about 1983. Yeah. The other best new groups: Men Without Hats, 
Remember them? <laughs> yeah. Safety Dance. Uh, the Eurythmics. Musical Youth. I don't have any idea who that oh, is. I the, remember yeah, them. Yeah, they were like this young uh, Jamaican band. The, yeah, okay. the lead singer was like 14 years old. And then the band that won Best New Group, Culture Club. <laughs> Oh, no. so they beat, they beat out. Buka. They beat Big they Country have, and the Eurythmics. They shouldn't have yeah. beat either one of the Eurythmics <laughs> or Big. I mean, I can't believe that someone heard their rhythmic sound. That's such a uh, accessible sound. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I this is when my it was this was right at the end of my record buying. Well, years. I was going to say that this is uh, yeah. yeah, this is that point where you kind of gave up on new music. Well, I, I didn't. It was. It really got pushed out because I I started listening to audible, audible books or uh, books on tape, yeah. and I just got sucked in so deep that it just kind of pushed out everything out of. I mean, I listened while I was jogging. I listened while I was driving. There was yeah. no room for the music anymore. Well, you missed out on some good stuff. I though. think I that, well, I mean, that's what this is all about. Kind of uh, what the podcast is about me reuniting with music. <laughs> <laughs> the one of the things, uh, and it feels of, so good. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of went that through probably something got a, a Grammy too. <laughs> I went through something similar. Only I just in 1983, I think I just started looking backwards. I did more. a lot of that, and too. I started. This is when I just started going. Hey, I'm going to buy all the Pink Floyd I can find. I'm going to buy all the Fleetwood Mac. I'm, I'm going to get into all these bands that I, I'm tired of being here and you know listening to what everybody else listens to. Yep. I got through this anti MTV phase. Yep. Um, I did that. I can't go. I mean, I, that's when I started going way back, like yeah. in the 30s and stuff. Yeah. Buying Glenn Miller and uh, Bob Wills. <laughs> got to get Bob Wills. Yeah. I. uh I was uh, in '83, just getting out of my radio-friendly stuff and getting knee-deep into metal. <laughs> I was listening to Maiden, Iron Maiden. I was listening to stuff of that nature. Yeah. Until until I discovered a band that uh, we've talked about this on the Reckoning episode. A band that when I heard Driver Eight by REM, it yeah. sort of changed my life. But Anyway, back to the guys at hand. Uh, <laughs> 1986, the Shear came out with a huge uh, hit, uh, Look Away. Then they, uh, not long after that, they came out with that. When in '93 they came out with the Buffalo Skinners, yeah, and that's when everything changed. They yeah. got this new sound, and I had trouble with that new sound, and that's basically where I, well, I think I jumped off. That's I think it's because it's yeah, that's the thing. There's there's those group of people that wanted big country to sound like big country. And, and and that happens a lot, right? You you mm -hmm, expect sure. a band to sound a certain way, and when they the band decides I don't want to sound this way anymore, then the fans that were around decide to, whether or not they're going to continue that relationship or not. Yeah, and that's not the same as saying it's a bad record. No, I, I I'm going to revisit these things. I'm driving to Damascus. I listened to that some and had not listened to it before, and uh, it sounds very different. But there's something there. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have the death. We mentioned earlier that Stuart Atmanson was kind of Adamson was kind of a uh, Adamson. Adamson. I don't know why we have I such a trouble with yeah, that poor that. guy's last name. Yeah. He had he he had a, a significant drinking, drinking problem, problem yeah. significant that I don't think everybody quite knew the seriousness of. Yeah, 
Uh, and so he was just kind of prone to not being real present a lot around a lot of people. Or not showing up to things he's not, supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. Which is not present. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so like I mentioned, he got, got divorced, and then he just disappeared for a while. Well, he was in... Uh, he he spent some time in Nashville working on some stuff. He did, yeah. and that and, was Steve Lillywhite's suggestion for him to move to Nashville to get a change of scenery. Is that and right? I, yeah. yeah. He, Steve Lillywhite, of course, should have recommended that he go to Austin. Yes. And <laughs> we would have embraced Everything would have been different. Yeah. When he was showing up for stuff, was not in a very good state, and uh, then he disappears again, and they, they on their webpage... The big country was saying, hey, fans, if you're keeping him away, he's got he needs help. Yeah, Don't, you're not doing it. Yeah, they reached favor. out to people to try to find out what's going on. And the band prior to that had decided to call it quits. They, <clears throat> yeah. they decided they were just based on all this. It wasn't worth moving forward anymore. Yeah. And so um, eventually they found him. It, was it a hotel in Nashville? No, it was in Honolulu. I Honolulu, think, somewhere in right. Hawaii. Yeah, that's right. Somewhere yeah. in Hawaii. So, no, it's a Best Western. Yeah, and a, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to die in a Best Western. I don't care. And if you find my body in a Best well, Western, I'm going to nice move. Best Western. I don't care. I want to be in another <laughs> hotel. I don't want to be. In a, a anyway, Western. he was he was in some place in Hawaii. I don't know if it was Honolulu or not, but they found him dead in a hotel room in Hawaii. And he'd been there a while. He had killed himself. Yeah. Um, and uh, do drugs or something? How? No, he hung himself. He hung himself. He hung That's himself. what I thought. He That's hung right. himself. He hung himself. And, uh, yeah. And it's another reason to think this is a Tony pick. <laughs> I, I do tend to, for some reason... All your bands end up with suicides. Yeah, you know, we've got Badfinger. We've got Big Star. Well, that wasn't a suicide, but they, they end up... Sweethearts, uh, I don't know, did... Graham. So, Graham. yeah, they all sort of... All my picks, the guys end up early. <laughs> Everybody early. end up... Nobody in uh, Jayhawks. No, they're all good. That's, that's they're good. All good. Yeah. That's they're good. good. I'm happy for that. Yeah. But yeah, it's pretty. I mean, it's pretty sad because again, this guy was so well respected so as a songwriter and a guitarist. And well, like I said sad, earlier, that person's not well right. Respected. No, I know, I know. <laughs> but, but we're but we're denied the music world is denied someone who probably could have done more. And well, and then uh, they decide to sort of reform. Tony with, Butler singing, no, with Mike Peters from The Alarm. He he he's the he ends up being the lead singer for an album called The Journey, which is I think released in 2013. Okay. Um, and uh, he did it because he thought people re- were being deprived of how great of a songwriter Stuart Adamson was, and so he wanted to help spread the word so he thought if we could get out and tour and i know people who saw it people who use local musicians who i really respect who went to see that show mainly because of their adoration for big country you know they just love big country so much they didn't care that mike peters was singing was singing the songs they just wanted to hear them again um i think I, i mean i didn't go obviously but i think there's probably uh you know, Mike Peters is not Stuart Adam- Adamson in terms of guitar players, so I don't know how they got the guitar sound. I mean, I'm sure Bruce, yeah. I'm sure Bruce Watson did his best, but you know, he's not going to make up for the loss of no, no, of Stuart Adamson. So, yeah. and it did, but Tony Butler sang it 
Yeah, yeah maybe. I don't know that. Um, I I don't know that part of the history. He might have. Yeah, but, but he was he loved that band. I mean, he was a guy that could have. He's well, very sought after um, session guy. He could probably play with just about any band yeah, that he right. wanted. He really wanted to keep that. Well, that he did band the alive. he did the vocals in two thousand seven. Okay, so there you go. Yeah. So well, it was it was a great band. There, I'm I'm guessing that we are going to be communicating with some true deep fans of big country, and uh, we would love to hear. What you have to say, uh, please, please go to our uh, webpage, tappingvinyl.com, and let us know what you think about this record and all of their records, and help help inform everybody else about this great band. All right, so we've uh, come to the part of the show where we uh, give our our ratings. We have two ratings. Uh, the first one, as you recall, is uh, what we feel as a cold-hearted critic. And the other rating is uh, based on our feelings, like uh, how likely is it that we'll listen to this album again? Um, so I'm going to go with you first, Tony. Okay. Um, give us your ratings, please. So as, as a critic, um, I recognize how um, how unusual and kind of out of the blue this this band was and um and how unbelievably talented they were um i i uh i i get that um so i would say in terms of when this album came out it was it was kind of heads and head and shoulders above talent wise a lot of the bands were similar that we've talked about um so i'd give it a, i'd give it a solid 4 uh, for that as a critic oh in the land of fairies, <laughs> and uh, and I would probably give it the same vote for listening. Uh, it's it, it is something that I'm very pleased that we did because I got to know it in a way that I didn't know it before. I, I I freely admit I was one of these people that thought of Big Country as kind of a one hit wonder, not realizing how great that band, how great this album was or is, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, so I. I this will be in rotation. I can't say I'll listen to it all the time because it is sort of a commitment to do so. But um, when I make that commitment or when I'm in the mood for it, I, it'll be perfect. So I'll give it a four as well. Okay. All right. Thanks, Tony. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll go next since I didn't pick it. Um, you have to ask yourself. I have to ask myself. Self? Self? What do you give this as a whole cold-hearted critic? That rules the night. Yeah. I, I will stop doing that at some point. It just cracks me up every time. <laughs> oh, there's no reason to quit. Um, as a critic, I'm going to give it a 4-2. I think it's above a 4, but I don't think it's quite a 5. Uh, I think the there's one thing that I think it suffers from, and I think that a lot of albums at this time suffered from it. I love the drums. The drums are amazing. It's got that gated snare drum sound on it that was so everywhere in the 80s it's that sound that you hear on in the air tonight it's uh it's with minute work does it as well it's that that gated (sighs) reverb that it and it's just so it drove me crazy in the 80s and i heard Um, that so much on this album this this week uh, Jay, I'm not. To, I, I hear what you're saying. I don't. I don't want to interrupt what you're saying because I think I agree with you. But, but I, I'm going to interrupt what you're saying. <laughs> funny what you're saying about uh, funny. It's funny what you're saying about men at work because I forgot to mention that um, I really 
there were some some parts of this in particular uh <laughs> the second song in the album inwards that sounded like it, it fell off a like minute work does, album yeah, yeah. but anyway sorry to interrupt yeah um but that's the only that's really i other than that i can't really think of anything that's that's wrong with this album um so i'm gonna give it a four two as a critic as a uh as for my feelings or what my likelihood of listening to it again i'm gonna give it a four because now that i'm more familiar with it i mean this was i spent a lot of time with it over the last couple of weeks and uh, i was never got tired of it i mean i was never like oh no i got to listen to this album again i will agree though that it it there is this sort of like you kind of have to work out to listening to it because it is so it is pretty heavy so i'm going to give it a 4.0 and another reason why i'm i'm going to knock off a little bit from it is and this is something that i i was singing the praises of steve lillywhite earlier one of the things i think that steve lillywhite has a hard time doing and is creating like a center Doug, Doug, you've talked about the center of an album before. And to me, this album doesn't have a center. And I think that's a problem that happens with a lot of Steve Lillywhite albums is that the songs just always sound like segments to me. They don't sound like a, a lot of times they just don't sound cohesive. Uh, And there's, it's really hard for me for a lot of Steve Lillywhite albums to just listen to it as an album. A lot of times I just want to hear Steve Lillywhite songs, you know, isolated again. That's all these songs are, are very, very good. But a lot of times I don't think, I think Steve Lillywhite sometimes misses a cohesion that a lot of producers like Todd, Todd Rundgren, Daniel Lanois, Brian Eno, those guys can kind of keep a cohesion throughout the whole album. And I think that that's where that's another part where it falls down for me, but that's it. So, Doug, this was your choice. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's so satisfying about this choice is it's brought us all together. <laughs> <laughs> so frequently recently, we have uh, we've had John Kell or uh, XTC. Or, or JM's wrong uh, understanding of the Jayhawks. JM's <laughs> hatred of the Jayhawks. Probably the football game's responsible, and I understand that. <laughs> but it is satisfying <laughs> that we're all here together singing Kumbaya. Um, you know, one of, one of the remarkable things about us, is, we didn't mention this earlier, but this is a daytime. Oh, yeah, this uh, is our first daytime. Daytime recording we're doing, and we've never done it with daylight outside. And what makes it even more remarkable is this is a championship weekend uh, for American college football. <laughs> uh, for those of you overseas uh, in the United and, States. And Tony. And Tony, okay. yeah. For yeah. those of you overseas, uh, American football is a game played uh, where you use your hands. And um, <laughs> we're watching the, uh, the, the college. You know, it's called football. Yeah, the college. um Championships are all going on right now, but we took time out of our schedule to sort to be of. here for you and to help you. Uh, did he fumble? Uh, yeah. <laughs> we listened with the we listened with the sound down. <laughs> we anyway, watched with the sound down. We love our fans so much that we uh, <laughs> pulled ourselves we pulled away. ourselves away from those sort games of. to be here with y'all. And it was also easier because Texas is nowhere to be found in any any uh, championship game. What do you mean Baylor? Oh. Texas, the university. The 
University uh, of Texas. Not for those of you who follow such. Yeah, we're watching things. another one. Yeah, Houston. Houston and uh, Cincinnati. Anyway, uh, this is so off base. Anyway, uh, personally, um, I'm going to, I mean, cold hearted critic, which rules the night. I think <laughs> this is a four or five. Um, I probably should go higher if you start talking about innovations that came out of this band um, and originality, but I'm, I'm going to go with that just because I like to uh, pretend like I'm. Uh, rational about these things. Uh, personally, it's a 4-7. This album occupies a very unique spot inside of me. Um, I, ne- I was right next very, to the appendix? Yeah, it was above the appendix. I, okay. I was a very early U2 fan. Um, and by early, I mean uh, October. Um, so, I, w- I went crazy for U2 and I, I forced everyone to listen to them. I haven't listened to a U2 album on purpose for a very long, long time, but I always come back to Big Country more frequently. So uh, I guess if the two are going to be compared, um, Big Country wins with me, even though I, I do respect U2. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm glad I was able to bring us all back together. Oh, thank you, Doug. Thanks, You're Doug. known as a uniter, not I'm a, a uniter. divider. Yes, that's, that's, that's right. True. Yes. Um, go ahead and hate your name. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for that, Doug, and thanks for that pick. Very good one. Um, We've reached the part in the show where uh, we like to turn it over to our our man with his his pulse on what's going on in the music industry, who knows what the kids are listening to. The young young fella over there at the other end of the bar. Um, Well... Thank you, guys. Before I do that, though, I'm also uh, the by default sort of web administrator, and I just wanted to give a couple of shout-outs to some people who have given us some recommendations that we're going to take to heart. One is uh, Todd Cox. Uh, we appreciate you listening and re- appreciate your uh, recommendation. Um, I'm going to try to get the guys on board with that. Uh, and the other one is Angie Brooks. Again, really appreciate uh, your kind words and hope you guys continue to listen. Uh, you can find lots of stuff on the website. We're constantly trying to add stuff. The newer episodes have a little bit more content than the older ones, but hopefully at some point we'll get that sucker built up to where you you find lots of good information on there. Um, that being said, my recommendation. So uh, I, I struggle with these sometimes because I'll, I'll think of a band that I really would like to do an album for. And this is one of those bands. Um, I, I don't think we're quite ready to talk about them yet. Um, but I would like to talk about them at some point in terms of one of their albums. This is a band called Ha Ha Tonka. They're named after a state park in Missouri. Huh. Ha Ha Tonka. Not but, after the trucks. No, not after the trucks. <laughs> um, they are... Uh, they're, they were on Bloodshot Records. Uh, they're sort of lumped in with that whole... Uh, insurgent country sound but they they're not really um and the reason i bring them up for this particular podcast is twofold one is an easy one they did a cover of in a big country which seems like an easy thing to make me think about them but they also um after doing that cover uh, they released an album, the one I'm going to recommend tonight, called Death of a Decade, which is 10 years old. So it's not that new, but it's 10 years old. Which decade died? Uh, I guess. <laughs> the one 10 years ago? Yeah, I guess yeah. the 2000s. Um, and what's what's unique about this band is they uh, 
in, in a similar way as big country, they have a sound that really isn't like anything else out there. Mm-hmm. And on this album, uh, the, it's very mandolin heavy, but not in a way that you would ever really he- think of hearing a mandolin. And their songs are very, um, they, they evoke a place uh, in the way, same way that Big Country does. So it's not just that they covered the song. There was sort of a, I've, I, I don't know if this is the case or not, I haven't seen it, but there seems to be sort of a sea change in their approach to their sound after they covered that song. I don't know if one of them discovered the band and just started, but uh, it seems intentional that they decided to kind of move towards this more, uh, I don't know what, what you would call it, but it's, so the album is death of a decade. Um, the song, the, the, the whole album's great. Uh, Westward bound, which is the second song on the album evokes that kind of sense of place that I'm talking about. The first song, Usual Suspects, is also great. I mean, it's all great. It's it's got um, it's it's just uh, this is a band that's also very very dear to me and my wife. Uh, we drove uh, several years ago. We threw the kids in the car and drove up to St. Louis to see them play. When the drummer, their drummer at the time, was leaving, drove fourteen hours straight to St. Louis to see them play a show. <laughs> Drug the kids as well along. But uh, I highly highly recommend this album, Death of a Decade. It's it's really child great. protective services. <laughs> probably going to be after you, <laughs> probably. Um, but uh, again, uh, check it out. Um, I think fans of Big Country uh, they don't sound like Big Country, but I think fans of Big Country would like this album a okay. lot for those reasons I mentioned. All right, and anybody else as well. All and right. again, I want to talk about them someplace down the road. Actual do an, al- an album review of one of their albums. So that does it for our look at The Crossing by Big Country. You can let us know what you think of the album or our podcast at our website, tappingvinyl.com. And as Tony mentioned, you're going to find all sorts of good stuff up there related to a lot of the episodes that we've done in the past. And um, you'll find some links to our recommendations. And there's some, you know, some nuggets up there as well that you probably wouldn't find uh, on other podcasts. And you can also reach us uh, via Twitter at Tapping Vinyl. And you can visit our Facebook page. And you can send us an email at tappingvinyl at gmail.com. You can also contact us on the website. That's true. That's another easy way to contact us. That's probably us the easiest want. way to do it, yeah. And the uh, Facebook group. Please go to the group and not to the Facebook page. The yeah. face, Facebook is trying to... Uh, get money out of us <laughs> and it makes it impossible to operate the page. Yeah. Next week we'll be looking at an album by the Pinnacle Hippie Band, The Grateful Dead, their album American Beauty. It's an album that was made before they became the ultimate jam band. 
Sugar Magnolia, blossom is blooming. That's all empty and I don't care. So my baby down by the river. Who should have to come up soon for our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe, this is Vinyl Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11, and reminding you, pull your head off the floor, and come up screaming. <laughs>